Good morning, everyone, and welcome. This is Christy Balsells. It is November 5th, 2010, and today we're going to be talking about exercise with Margaret O'Reilly from Vancouver General Hospital. Margaret, welcome. So glad to have you with us today. Thank you, Christy. Can you hear me okay? Yes, you sound great. Okay, Before great. Before we get started, I just have to comment that when we um, first brought up this topic, the response of many people in the community was, seriously, exercise? Are you kidding? I can barely, you know, fill in the blank here. And I, so I thought it was quite interesting that, you know, we really face um, a dichotomy here of, knowing that the research might be suggesting one thing, but the reality for mito patients feels very different in real life. And so we're going to talk about that today, and that's going to be really exciting to know what potential impact exercise has actually mitochondria in our cells, but then to know some real suggestions on how we can make that practical and realistic for children and adults with mitochondrial disease as well. So, Margaret, without further ado, I want to warmly welcome you and thank you for joining us today. You will probably um, have more to add, but I just want to tell everyone that Margaret is a metabolic nurse educator from Vancouver, British Columbia, and she is part of the Adult Metabolic Diseases Clinic at Vancouver General Hospital, where her practice is focused on adults with mitochondrial disease, which actually is quite unique. And in my experience when interacting with Margaret over the past couple of years, I have to say that, Margaret, you're so passionate and really dedicated about helping this group of patients that it is such a pleasure to welcome you today. So thank you for joining us. Well, thank you, Christy, for having me, and thank, thank you all for listening in today. It's kind of a neat experience. I've never done this before, so it's exciting. I hope that I can provide a framework for all of you um, to understand how exercise can play a vital role in helping people with mitochondrial myopathy, and um, see if we can come up with some practical suggestions. Um, so I'm just going to start by talking about exercise in general terms, um, and then apply it to mitochondrial myopathy in particular. Exercise for everyone, all, all of us, um, has a lot of benefits, and we all know that. Uh, it improves the ability to walk and improves our balance, flexibility, and our joints. It's good for our mood, it immediately makes us feel better with the endorphin rush, and then it can help decrease levels of depression and anxiety, can decrease the risk of heart disease and diabetes for a number of reasons, sometimes keeping the weight down and just physiologically. It promotes independence by increasing motivation, energy, and mobility. And most importantly for, for you guys is that it improves energy production in the body. So how is mitochondrial functioning affected by exercise? As we said, it, it, it gives you more energy, and people um, will get more into that about what that means in a day-to-day -day life. But on a biochemical level, it actually does create more energy in the body. It increases the healthy numbers of mitochondria in the cells. And how it does this is um, it actually turns on the genes that make mitochondria, and it's called upregulation of the genes. And that, um, people ask then, well, if it increases the numbers of mitochondria in the cells that are healthy, people with mitochondrial disease have both healthy and sick mitochondria, mutated and wild-type mitochondria in their cells. 
so does it also increase the unhealthy mitochondria? And the answer is sometimes it does, but um, there's two different scenarios. One, if you have a nuclear mutation that's causing the mitochondrial disease, it doesn't change the mutant load. It doesn't increase the unhealthy mitochondria. If you have a mitochondrial mutation, it may increase, but the net effect is still that you have more mitochondria that are healthy, working, and what do they do? They, they, they're they the batteries of our cells. They, they produce energy in the form of ATP, and you get m more energy as a result. So that's the thing to focus on. Um, the research in mitochondrial disease shows that exercise makes the body use oxygen more efficiently, and it's called increased oxygen capacity, and that in turn increases exercise tolerance. So it means that you can you can um, feel better exercising. Your body isn't producing as much lactate. You're able to use oxygen as the fuel when you exercise. It makes your your metabolism more efficient in general. It increases the healthy numbers of mitochondria, as we talked about. Increases enzyme complex levels if your levels are low. Um, improved quality of life. There was a study on that. And then there was one study about resistance exercise, which is actually pushing or pulling against something like light weights or exercise bike with resistance that actually showed it diluted the mutant load in the cells, the, the mature muscle cells fused with something called satellite cells and actually sort of crowded out the bad mitochondria. So that was kind of um, interesting. Um, a, a question that people often have is, is it safe to exercise? It's very difficult to feel comfortable with mitochondrial disease because everybody just shrugs their shoulders and says, well, I don't know. and uh, you know, it makes people feel very vulnerable, as I'm sure you do, and you do on behalf of your children. So there was an, a study that I found um, that was done in Denmark in 2006, and they studied a group of people with mitochondrial myopathy, and they looked at the effect of 12 weeks of cycle training on um, the whole person. They looked at the quality of life. They looked at the exercise capacity, so they did exercise testing, excuse me, and they looked at the muscle pre and post, so I guess the person had muscle biopsy before and afterwards, which is a very brave volunteer, and they looked at this creatinine kinase levels in the blood and the mitochondrial enzyme activities. So it was pretty thorough. And the results indicate that yes, it is safe. It uh, increased, the good things that it did was it increased the exercise capacity, so they were able to do more, and it increased the aerobic um, the aerobic training, so the exercises that they were doing, and we'll talk about a little bit more about that later. Um, it increased the mitochondrial function. It didn't. It didn't affect the mutant load. It, it stayed stable. The CK levels remain stable. So that's encouraging. Now, what about lactate levels? Some people with mitochondrial disease have higher than normal lactate levels in their blood, and lactate we know is what makes our muscles burn when we exercise. And so if it goes up with exercise, is that something to be concerned about? Well, people with mitochondrial disease have a lower anaerobic threshold, meaning that they get into anaerobic metabolism faster. 
So anaerobic metabolism is when your body doesn't use oxygen as efficient, efficiently. So back to the oxygen capacity, your your body doesn't um, use oxygen um, when you're exercising as quickly as it should. So two things. One, lactate increases with anaerobic activity. So that's high-intensity sustained exercise that probably a lot of you don't do, but if you do, it includes heavy weightlifting, um, sprinting, or tennis, and things like that where you do high-intensity sustained exercise that doesn't let the muscle recover. Um, so if you are able to do... Um, uh, if you're able to do exercise which increases your oxygen capacity, then you're going to be able to lower that threshold and keep your, be able to use oxygen and not get into that anaerobic activity where your oxygen isn't being used, if that makes sense. Then the bottom line is that even if the lactate does go up a bit, it's it's okay and it's safe and it's better to focus on the overall benefits of exercise than worrying too much about the lactate levels. So when I talk to people with mitochondrial myopathy in clinic and talk about exercise being part of the treatment program, they, like Christy said, look at me and say, you know, I would love to exercise, but I am so tired I can barely get through the day. So I want you to think for a minute while I talk about what your definition of exercise is. You know, your real definition, what you think real exercise is, is it... Um, you know, you believe that real exercise is going to a gym and doing a step class for an hour. Or if you're a parent of a child, is it they're able to go and play outside at recess for a whole half hour? Um, or if you're a parent of a teen, are they, you know, is your definition of exercise for them that they can ski with their friends and keep up for a couple of hours? So think about that, um, what your definition of it, of exercise is. What I find is that most people have had bad experiences. It's a taboo subject because they've crashed with exercise. They overestimate what they think they should do to get exercise. They think, well, gee, you know, I should be able to do this. And everybody has different levels of ability. So that you may you may think, well, I should be able to walk five minutes, and you can't. Um, so what happens is people overexercise and feel really bad as a result and just avoid it. <clears throat> so the key is balance, and the the slides, if anybody's looking at them, and for those of you who aren't, that's okay, I have a frog on a lot of the slides, and other than the fact that I thought they were kind of cute, I, um, I thought about frogs and how they hop, and then they stop, and they take their time, and they rest on lily pads, and then they hop, and jumping takes a lot of energy. But that's kind of the, the the idea, is to balance things, balance rest and activity, balance the timing of exercise related to snacks and meals, and balancing the right activity for you, not what you think you should be doing, but what's right for your body and your, your mitochondrial disease and how you're affected. So you need to redefine what you qualify as exercise for you or your child. So practical applications of these things are scheduling appointments or activities in the morning when you feel better, if that's your best time of day, um, choosing one activity per day instead of trying to cram a bunch of different things in. And that's hard when you've got kids and or you've got jobs or whatever, but to try to, to, to do that. Um, 
for for teachers, they need to know that kids with Mito need to break up activity, maybe have a 10-minute recess and then 10 minutes of a quiet game. Or if they're in gym class, have 10 minutes of gym time and then 10 minutes of sitting on the sidelines being the scorekeeper, some other quiet job that involves them but doesn't involve them being active. And only you would know how to figure that out for yourself or your child. Also, exercise is cumulative. So if you can do three 10-minute sessions of walking per day, it's, it's just as good as one 30-minute session. So getting started, um, there was a study that was done, or I guess it, I think it was a review article, actually. Um, they suggested getting a 12-lead ECG before you start, making sure your heart is okay, going to your doctor, getting checked out, just making sure you've got the clean bill of health to get a go-ahead. Um, whenever possible, working with a therapist, a trainer, a kinesiologist. And if that isn't available to you, then there is the mitochondrial myopathy guide on the MitoAction website that might be a good guide for you to start working with. And we'll talk about different types of exercise. Um, so the balance is all about starting slowly and increasing in small steps. That's called graded exercise. And the key is sticking with this plan, even if you're having a great day and feel like doing more. So not to push yourself. Um, this lets your body change and, and cope with the activity and exercise and gradually make these biochemical changes. Um, if you push yourself, then it's not, it's not going to end well. So don't jump into a vigorous exercise program. We had a, a session yesterday on... Tai Chi, and there was a woman there who was doing an adapted exercise program, and even the adapted exercise program was too strenuous. So just see, make sure that it's good for you. Um, start with a few minutes of very gentle exercise, such as stretching, and when you're comfortable with that, add some short periods of mild aerobic activity, such as walking or swimming. <clears throat> you increase gradually, and that means maybe by one minute a day or a, a session, um, just to build it up little by little. And um, with kids, um, it might be hard for them to naturally limit themselves. They don't, you know, probably recognize their limitations, especially if they're having a good day. So it may take some time sitting down together and actually working out different plans for their various activities. Um, depending on their level of ability, maybe they could be Maybe they'd like to be involved in a team sport, or they are involved in a team sport, but they could be a, a, um, involved in an adapted way that conserves their energy, still gives them the exercise, and most importantly, allows them to be part of a team and feel normal. So, for instance, the Little League, if they really want to play baseball, they could sit out every other time the team is up to bat and help to keep score or be on bench duty. Or they could sit out when the other team's up to bat, and or they could, you know, if they're in a wheelchair and they really want to be part of that team, they could be co-team manager with mum or dad. Um, there's, I guess, it's being creative and figuring out ways that will um, will get people out there. Um, keep track of exercise on a calendar or progress chart. Even as adults, I, I have to admit, I give myself a sticker every time I go <laughs> to the gym. So, um, yeah, I don't know if it works for other people, but it does feel good to sort of get reinforcement in some way. Um, so you might want to start by walking, cycling, swimming as little as five minutes every other day for two weeks, and then add a little bit, two minutes, to your exercise for another two weeks and so on. 
So the steps is start to choose an exercise that works best for you, factor in the timing of exercise around rest periods, snacks, and meals, review when to increase, decrease, and stop exercise, and be familiar with the do's and don'ts of exercise in mitochondria, so mitochondrial disease. So we'll just go over a few of those. So what kind of exercise is best? We've touched on the different types of exercise. There's aerobic, anaerobic, and resistance. Anaerobic, again, is heavy weightlifting, sprinting, tennis, probably things that are not great things for you to choose right off the top um, or, or at all. Aerobic exercise doesn't have to mean you have to be jumping around doing an aerobics class. Um, it just is exercise that requires a lot of oxygen. And that's like walking, um, swimming, um, sorry, riding a bike, anything like that um, is easy to do. Um, resistance exercise is pushing up against a wall, lifting light weights, doing an exercise bike with a little bit of resistance, a little bit of tension on it. Um, and the different benefits of those things are increasing the circulation, increasing the red blood cell count, which actually increases and transports oxygen more efficiently, um, stronger bones, all sorts of great things. So figuring out what's best for you, for your child or yourself, is <clears throat> learning from past relapses. So if you walked for 20 minutes and you felt really, really awful, try walking for five and see how that goes. It may be helpful to keep a diary to keep track of what works and what doesn't. Um, if you can only, if it, you could combine resi resistance with aerobic activity, so if you could only walk 10 minutes without really bad leg pain, then maybe you could walk five minutes holding on to some light weights and do bicep curls. It may give you the same total amount of calories expended and a little bit of a workout, but spreads out the muscle group so that you're not putting all the stress on your legs. Sort of spread it out. Um, a child at a swimming birthday party, you know, where they have swimming and then they get together in a party room, that may completely exhaust them. So let them swim for half an hour, get them out, give them a good snack, let them sit and rest, and then do the party. So it's just figuring out and being creative. Remember, your exercise tolerance varies from day to day like everybody. Just if you're feeling up to it, fighting a cold or whatever. People with who are unstable on their feet or very, very extremely tired may better tolerate exercise on a recumbent exercise bike or in a pool. I do hear from people that going to a pool is great, but it's the getting there and the changing and the showering afterwards, and it, that's pretty exhausting. So could maybe, you know, find things that you could do at home that exercise that exer that give you exercise without that other piece of it, the getting there and the getting home. So the thing to remember is that any exercise is better than no exercise. Even if it means you're drawing circles or drawing alphabet letters with your feet while you're watching TV commercials, um, it's better than nothing. It's just good to get your body moving. So different exercise options for people with mitochondrial disease and things that can be adapted are walking. Many communities have walking programs. Swimming, especially in a warm pool. Um, gentle stretching, Tai Chi. We Fit, the, using the Wii, and we'll talk a bit more about that. Sailing, there's disabled sailing programs, horseback riding, and yoga. <clears throat> 
Stretching seems to be well tolerated by people with mitochondrial disease and the exercise guide does go over different stretches. You can even stretch while you're lying down in bed. Bed is a bit soft, so maybe on the floor with some cushions or something. Um, Stretching promotes circulation and maintains your body range of motion, which is really important for maintaining your mobility and independence. With stretching, um, interestingly, it's good to stretch for less time. Just hold it for five to 10 seconds so you don't stress your muscles out too much and expend too much energy. Um, You just want to keep your energy meter you want to maintain it, not drain it with exercise. So the we, we've, we've had a session or two here on um, the we, and it's really been fun. Research shows that it's beneficial in patients with cerebral palsy, Parkinson's, strokes, and spinal cord injuries. Um, it's improved gait and balance in people, promotes motion, heart rate, and burns calories, improves motor function in stroke patients and incre- increase their... Um, uh, able to react quick, more quickly, um, I guess they were able, it saved seven seconds on average, and so throughout the day that really saved a lot more time in them processing and being able to react to things. It, it distracts from pain, if that's a, a part of your, your problem, which a lot of people I know have. Um, it's adaptable, so for the tennis, for instance, instead of swinging your whole arm, you can actually just flick your wrist, and that... Um, will make the tennis racket move on the on the, the screen. And um, it saves energy. You don't have to leave the house. You can do yoga, aerobics, walking or running. You can sit in a chair and run with your feet if you're not able to stand up. And most of all, it's fun. It's something you can do with other people. You can do it by yourself. You can do it with your kids or your grandkids. And uh, it's just kind of kind of a normal thing that's fun. We had a young guy that tried it and his face just lit up and it was just, it was just wonderful to see because it really, you know, he broke out in a sweat. He was working out, but he was doing something that he really enjoyed. So where to look for programs? Community centers, adapted exercise programs. You can Google that. In the Vancouver area, there's a whole list I just found on the Internet. Recreation and sports complexes. Arthritis programs are often very well established and have a lot of um Programs for people that you could be involved in. Fibromyalgia programs, the same thing. There's there's a little bit more out there than we have for mitochondrial disease. Healthy heart programs. And then disabled sailing and horseback riding programs for kids. Just uh, on, on fatigue, if you have a, a big problem with fatigue, which most people do with mitochondrial disease, it's good to rest between exercise sessions, so do them every two days um, if you're doing strengthening exercises or aerobic exercises. Um, So you could schedule Monday, Wednesday, Friday for activities that are are more strenuous. Rest after the activity when possible so that all the benefits are retained without an increase in fatigue. And I know that's hard, but... um, that mean you, might mean you exercise for a little less time until you get up to speed just so that you can have build in a little rest period. And stop before you feel exhausted. Pacing yourself is really important. And again, that's hard on, on days where you feel good. You think, oh, well, I'll just do a little bit more today. But you really got to stick with the program. When to exercise, people generally seem to feel better and more energetic in the morning. Um, Christy made a really good point about exercising a couple of hours after the vitamin supplements, so you're 
your body is getting the peak effect and, and you, um, you maximize your energy. Um, often after a warm shower or bath feels really good because it relaxes your muscles and increases circulation and can make exercise feel um, easier. And within four, one to four hours of eating, and we'll address that so that your body is fueled. When to stop? If you feel nauseated or start to vomit, obviously stop the exercise. And the next time you go for it, decrease the intensity and duration of the exercise. And that's another thing to keep track of um, if you're keeping track of what, what works for you and what doesn't in a little notebook. If the exercise causes you pain, it's natural to feel a little bit of muscle pain when you start um, the new exercise, but if it's causing you a lot of pain, don't do it. Switch to something else. And it might take you a while to figure out what exercise is good for you. So uh, what, uh, what about what to eat? So before you exercise, eat about one to four hours before exercise for extra energy, fluid, and prevent hunger. One study suggested starting to drink um, something like a, um, a, uh, a sports drink about an hour before exercise and continuing while you were exercising. Um, but as long as you're choosing something that's rich in carbohydrate, which is um, you know, bread, cereals, that kind of thing. Choose whole grain because that's healthier with a little bit of protein, or sorry, with protein and just a little fat. You don't want to to uh, pack on the weight. Um, or, I mean, some people do, but uh, um, anyway, we don't want it to cause problems. So exercise are whole grain, or sorry, examples are whole grain bagels with peanut butter, a small plate of whole grain pasta with cheese, small bowl of whole grain cereal with milk and berries, or cheese and whole grain crackers before you exercise so that you're giving your body something to work on, work with. If you're in sports like soccer, your children are soccer, karate, hockey, anything like that, have something for them on the sidelines. They can't be expected to, to do what the kids without Mito do. I mean, even the kids without Mito who are playing soccer and stuff, they stop and they have a snack. So have something on the sidelines like whole grain pitas with hummus or cheese, granola, cereal bars, bananas, raisins, trail mix, even orange sections. Staying hydrated during exercise is really important. Kids have a really poor sense of thirst and need to be reminded to drink during exercise and throughout the day. Sports drinks are mostly water with some sugar, minerals, and flavor, and they're okay. No energy drinks. They're not sports drinks. They have caffeine and chemicals. The teens especially are, are drawn to these. Um, not a good choice because they, they're fizzy and it makes it hard to drink enough to stay hydrated during exercise. Diluted fruit juice is okay and water is really great. Water, our body needs water. After exercise, it's really important to have a snack. Carbohydrate, protein, and fluid will help your muscles recover and have it as soon as possible after exercise. If your meal's right away, then that's great. But if you're not having a meal right away, have something like chocolate milk with a banana. Chocolate milk is supposed to be the perfect thing because it's got sugar and protein and minerals and calcium um, for after exercise. A homemade shake, um, cereal or yogurt, anything to just refuel that's got some carbohydrate and protein. So the do's are to aim for three exercise sessions per week, if you're able. Really short, even to start out with, as we talked about. Fuel your body before, during, and after exercise. Listen to your body. If you don't feel up to exercising on a certain day or your, your child doesn't, 
then don't. If you need to take a break, however, from exercising, get back to it as soon as possible because we all know that it's really easy to find excuses not to do things. And like just on a regular basis, not obviously you guys have the best excuse not to do it, but if you can possibly do it, then it's good to try. The don'ts are to don't hold your breath, and that sounds funny, but it's true. You know, if you're concentrating on things, sometimes you don't remember to breathe. Don't exercise within three or four hours of going to bed. You don't want to make it harder to fall asleep. You want to remember not to exercise on an empty stomach and obviously not to exercise when you're sick. Your body is already challenged enough trying to keep to recover. From warm-up to cool-down then, to, uh, to, uh, to summarize, exercise is safe in mitochondrial disease and it's an effective way to manage the symptoms of mito. It's really important to make an individualized graded exercise plan that factors in rest and nutrition and to maintain, not drain, your energy levels. Thanks very much, and I look forward to your questions. Margaret, this is an excellent presentation and motivates us all to go get moving in any degree, and I think that's what's most important from your discussion is that redefining the idea of exercise so that even a little bit helps. I'm sure that some of our um, listeners have some questions, so we're going to open up the lines for questions. I also want to point out that there's some references on the final slide that are journal articles for anyone who um, is interested in more or might be interested in sharing those with your physical therapist or your doctor. And, uh, and perhaps anyone who's had some success in um, something specific for exercise and how they've incorporated it could share that as well. So without further ado, let's open up the lines for questions. All right, so everyone is unmuted. I'll remind you that you can use star six to mute or unmute your line so that it maintains a quiet background for all of us and, uh, and to speak clearly for us. So who would like to ask a question of Margaret about exercise? I have a question. Okay, great. Well, let me just remind everyone that um, if you could use star six to mute your line, even if you're on a cell phone, it gives a lot of uh, background noise. That would be great. We're getting some interference from someone. So if everyone would just take a moment and use star six to mute your line, that would be great. Margaret, I apologize for the background noise. We'll do our best to be able to hear. Okay, go ahead and let's ask your question. This is Ellen, and I have a couple of quick questions. One is you mentioned about warm bath or, or pool, and I was wondering uh, in terms of the uh, temperature of the water and the length of time that you that would be optimal in terms of spending in that water. And secondarily, you, you talked about you know graded exercise and how that's important. Um, obviously, I know it's individualized, but you know where is sort of the cutoff in terms of uh, what, what would be recommended for what you're aiming for in terms of the actual amount of are you aiming for you know a half an hour. Um, that that sort of thing. And then the other issue is what Christy alluded to is I think a lot of patients experience like, oh, my God, how can I do this? And I really appreciate your very specific um, advice that's also research-based about how, how to proceed and also listening to one's body. But I do kind of get the sense sometimes in, in hearing about these things that, like, you know, this, this 
we just pushed ourselves or, you know, the idea that because um, I tend to I tend to push myself and, and do overdo it, which is obviously a problem. So it is important to, to pace yourself. But, um, you know, how to how to also um, be able to communicate with your health care team about what you're doing and how, how to have that balance. So that, you know, you're doing things, but not uh, you're not you know lazy. You really are trying to do as much as you can. All right. So I'm going to mute everyone to allow Margaret to answer that question because of the background noise. But I do ask everyone to please just use star six to mute your line. Um, so Margaret, go ahead. You can answer the question. Okay. Um, Ellen, those are all great um, great comments and questions. Um, I'll try to answer them as as best as I can. I guess the start with the last point is the proof to your health team. I think you said your healthcare team that you're not lazy, that you are doing something. I think that's that's oh, it's just so hard, you know, because you do want to prove to everybody that you're not lazy because it's such an invisible thing. And um yeah, I I'm not sure you have to actually prove it. I think um, you know, if you really wanted to write things down and, and show them that you're doing something, but um, if you're working hard and it's the hardest you can do and you're really trying, then I think that's the most important thing and um, just believing in yourself. And um, if you if you tend to push yourself, I would really caution you to just try to pace yourself and do the graded exercise and come up with a plan that maybe you want to share with your healthcare team if you feel comfortable doing that or if it makes you feel better or if you think it would help the um, relationship. The, the exercise amount of time, it really does depend. If you can do a half an hour and feel okay um, and not crash afterwards, then go for that. If you're able to do an hour, then that's great. Um, they do have recommendations. There's an exercise study right now with Dr. Haller in Texas, and they I spoke to them, and they did give recommendations, and it seemed quite... Um, I, I shared them with Christy, and off the top of my head, I can't remember what it is. I can find out, but it seemed quite ambitious. I mean, I would find it difficult to do, and I don't have mitochondrial disease. So um, I think it really boils down to what um, what you're able to do three times a week. If you can do a half an hour, that's great. As far as the warm bath temperature and the length of time, I think it's not too hot. I think um, that drains your energy. Um, maybe a quick shower or a bath just to, and quick, I mean maybe five minutes, just to warm your muscles up. If you spend too much time, that's going to just drain your energy um, and relax you too much to want to be hopping out and riding an exercise bike. So I hope that answers your questions. And let's let's talk a little bit about the warm water swimming, Margaret, also, because I had another question come in through email about warm water swimming. Um, temperature of the water sometimes I think is a concern because the water is warm, but uh, many mito patients are so sensitive to getting overheated, right? And it can. I, so I guess the first question is: Is there a recommendation or that you have heard for temperature and length of time spent doing uh, water therapy? And then the second question might be: Do you feel that that warm water swimming is a good form of exercise as well? Um, the warm water swimming, I think, again, is just up to the individual. I know there's a patient here that only feels that it's comfortable to swim in a warm pool, and I guess that's what gave me the idea. Um, it doesn't matter if you feel okay in a cold pool and you are ten tend to feel overheated, then that's absolutely fine. Um, the length of time 
if you're in a warm if you're in a hot tub obviously that's that's a completely different um a different scenario but if if you're in a pool and you're comfortable and you're you're you know not overdoing it then you could spend as much time as you wanted in there as much time as you were able to tolerate if you're in a hot tub you need to you know probably be in and out in 10 minutes max and that's actually too hot for most people and i would use that with caution I would agree, and, I, and I'll add that uh, if you can, in your community, do a little research for a physical therapist at a hospital where there is a therapeutic pool, mm-hmm. um, that often that will give you the opportunity to be able to have your insurance pay for a session or a period of sessions of pool therapy, and during that time, the physical therapist can show you the types of things that either you as a parent can be doing with your child that will help their specific muscle tone needs, for example, or as an adult, types of exercises that you can do in the water that will um, have a, sometimes both a cardiovascular benefit as well as a strength training benefit. But the key is finding someone who is a physical therapist because their perspective about exercise will be different than if you go to a gym, for example, and say, mm-hmm. I want to get in shape by swimming. And so, um, and, and I have found successfully that sometimes folks can get it covered by their insurance also because it's physical therapy. Um, and so you're often that's a benefit for a certain amount of sessions per year. Uh, before we open the lines again, and I will um, just ask, I have another question that came in from email. And that question is about people who are on IV nutrition, Margaret. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's difficult to be able to um, eat a meal or eat the snacks to either replenish or to prepare for exercise, um, are there any recommendations that you have about that? And the second part of that question is, um, Many people have issues with having getting hypoglycemic, their blood sugar dropping, particularly during exertion. Any experience or insight about that? Okay. Um, I don't have any experience with people on IV, IV nutrition, which is a really good question. So I think what I would tell you to do there is if you're working with a dietitian, to talk to them about how you would um, manage um, pre- preparation for exercise um, and uh, and how you would maintain nutrition during exercise and afterwards if there's something you could put in in the IV or in a tube feed um, for the person. Um, As far as hypoglycemia, I think that that's just really important to have a complex carbohydrate snack while you're exercising before and while you're exercising and maybe to be drinking that sports drink the whole time you're exercising to avoid the hypoglycemia. And if you're having symptoms of hypoglycemia, then to stop and let yourself recover. Um, I think the biggest thing is just to feed yourself, fuel your body so that you don't get that hypoglycemic episode. Mm-hmm. Um, great. And one more question that came in through email, and then we'll open it up for everyone uh, to ask more questions. Margaret, uh, one person asks if you have heard of a muscle exercise test to determine the level of mitochondrial dysfunction as a guideline that would then be shared with physiatrists or physical therapists. 
because some people um, are recommending this baseline test, but then others are not. Do you have any experience about that? Uh, well, we we do exercise testing with uh, some of our patients um, to see if there's um, decreased oxygen capacity, and then if they have that, then they can either go on to a muscle biopsy or not. We're trying to use it a little bit more. The problem is, unfortunately, that most people can't do the level of exercise that they require for the exercise test, so they can't get up to that anaerobic threshold or whatever is required for the test, and so it doesn't really work in some cases. And I didn't hear the last part. I didn't catch the last part about to determine, um, I guess, the level of fitness so that that could be shared with the, the trainer. Well, I think it is something that is used. I've I've known of some teens using this test and then the recommendation being to those teens you should never play sports, and right. you know, based on that mitochondrial dysfunction. Mm-hmm. Um, so it it's this is where we get back to that challenge that mitochondrial disease patients, particularly, I think, um, teens and adults, are told you need to pace yourself. You don't need to do anything that would be exer- exerting yourself too much. You need to take it slow. And then they're told exercise is good for you. Right. And so how how can that be? And mm-hmm. so many of these. Um, you know, young adults and teens are told don't do any sports based on the results from, let's say, for example, an exercise test that shows mitochondrial dysfunction, yet we know now from the research that we might be creating benefits and more healthy mitochondria by exercising. Just, right. just asking your insight about that. Yeah, well, I think I think that's a real catch-22, and I think that's the place where a lot of people are at with mitochondrial disease is that there's so much um, controversy and there's so many different opinions. And so I think the bottom line is, is that exercise is good in whatever form that it can be given. And if the recommendation is, um, you know, not based on cardiac function or something that would actually hurt, if, if it's based on mitochondrial function, I think that it would be safe to say that it's okay to go ahead and do exercise. And if, it depends, you know, if it's a teenager that wants to do some really extreme sport, then maybe not. But if they could figure out a way to be involved in that extreme sport without taxing themselves too much. But I, the research has shown that it's safe from a mitochondrial perspective to exercise. I, I, I guess going back to it, I just would, if if there's a cardiac issue or something like that, then, then I would um, proceed with caution certainly talk to the cardiologist about it, but I think it's okay to try with mitochondrial disease and sit down and figure it all out for what the child or the adult wants to do and make it happen. Super. So let me open the line for um, additional questions, and in the meantime, you can continue to email me with your questions, director at mitoaction.org. I do have a couple more, Margaret, that have come in through email, but I want to give folks the chance who are hanging on the line to ask. I remind everyone you can use star six to mute and unmute your line to just help us cut down on background noise while we're asking those questions. All right, so um, anyone like to ask a question? No. Go ahead, you just have to speak up for us. Um, so we're having trouble hearing you if you would like to ask a question. Um, 
I would just encourage everyone, please use star six to mute your line. We're getting a lot of feedback and background noise that um, is unfortunate for everyone listening. So if you have a question, could you speak up for me? Um, yelling this is speaking. I'm so sorry. We're really having a lot of trouble hearing you. Do you think you could email me the question? Perhaps you could email me at director at mitoaction.org, and we'll take our questions via email that way. Um, sorry, everyone, about the um, background there. There's really um, difficult to hear when there's a lot of that background noise that um, is coming from someone on the call. Uh, Margaret, I have another question that's coming through email, and I encourage everyone, if you're able to, to uh, email those questions. And if we don't have a chance to answer them directly, let's take some of those questions. Um, Margaret, maybe we can take those by email and answer them by email and post them on the site as well. Sure. So if people sure. have additional questions that they aren't having the opportunity to ask right now, we can do that, and we'll post them on the exercise page on the website. So the question is... Um, Going back to the brief mention about how the muscles may not be able to use oxygen very well during exercise, um, and this patient in particular says, when I use my arms, it feel I feel like I take the oxygen from my head. Um, so it's probably not feeling well, you know, just with a little bit of exertion. Any um, insight from your research and reading on that, Margaret, to talk a little bit about oxygen depletion in the muscles or inability of the muscles who are affected to be able to use the oxygen? Oh, well, that's a good question. Gosh, all of, all of this is, is um, you know, it's, it's just bordering on me not understanding, so I've worked really hard to try to understand it. So I'll try to answer your question, but if I can't, then I will um, find out for you. Um, so the oxygen carrying capacity of the, I think there's two things going on. One, your, your exercise increases the red blood cells, which carry more oxygen just in general around the body, but then the actual mitochondria use oxygen in their sort of assembly line to make ATP. So your body is not as able when you have a mitochondrial disease to use the oxygen when you're exercising. And... Uh, Probably if you're lifting your arms, I think from what I understand from Christy, if you're lifting your arms and it feels like you're taking oxygen from your head, then um, maybe it sounds a little bit more like your arms are weak and uh, maybe you could try lying down and lifting your arms up and down or doing light weights while you're lying down. Um, I'm not entirely sure I understand if it feels like you're feeling faint or or you just feel like the oxygen is being used up really quickly. Um, I think I would just try to adapt what you're doing and try it in different ways. Um, and then as you go along, your body will get stronger, increase the mitochondria, and that maybe will get better. Um, does that make any sense? It does. I think that what um, what I have heard from patients in my my interpretation from this question also is that if you just don't feel well, even with a little bit of exertion, um, it makes you feel like you should stop. And especially um, anyone who has really learned to be in tune with their body says, oh, I'm, I'm pushing myself too hard. 
And the key here is to, I think, really try to slowly improve your baseline so that you can do some of those exercises um, even for very, very short amounts of time. Even just lifting your arms up and down for one minute is a start um, so that you can then increase that amount of time. And I think your suggestion about doing it while lying down is also um, a great suggestion. Uh, There's another question that I've gotten through email that um, Tracy asks. Over a period of several years, could pushing activities too hard on a regular basis, um, you know, so you're pacing yourself but you're always kind of going to the point of being drained, could this cause your mito symptoms to get significantly and progressively worse? And, you know, these we're talking about global symptoms such as nausea, vomiting, dehydration, urine issues, gut dysmotility, pain. Um, so when you are exercising and pushing yourself, does the research and the experience tell us that that could make things get worse or improve over time? Um, well, that's a good question, Tracy. I I, um, I don't know the exact answer to it because there hasn't been a research study over time like that. But I think um, if you're talking about activities, like physical activities, if you've pushed yourself, um, I think it would leave you feeling drained, but it would probably, the end result would probably be that your benefits to your body biochemically would still be very positive and maybe keeping you stable or keep, you know, improving where you would have been if you hadn't done that. But I think it's important, again, I I, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but to not to be not to be pushing yourself. And I know that's really hard, especially if you're, a mum or something, you sometimes just don't have a choice, but to take the rest when you can and to fuel your body while you're um, doing activities. Um, but I don't think that it would make global symptoms get worse to address your specific questions. I think it would probably keep them stable or improve them over time. And Margaret, do you have any suggestions from your experience and um, working with patients in Vancouver for patients who are really... Uh, acutely nauseous and vomiting. Um, it sounds like having a lot of dysautonomia potentially. Right. To, to be able to do some exercise, what what types of exercises could they do? Well, that's a really good question because I, I can't imagine being able to feel like doing much if you're nauseated and vomiting. I guess, um, I mean, I don't know what what kinds of things have been tried, but if you have any kind of anti-nausea medications that don't make you drowsy that you could take a half an hour before exercising, if you could do things that don't involve a lot of motion that would increase your exercise, like gentle stretching or yoga, um, maybe the Wii would be a good good, uh, choice because you're distracted a little bit from the the nausea. Um, And then... I'm not sure if these things would work, but just um, non-medicinal ways of treating nausea and vomiting, like the C-bands with the pressure on your on your wrist, and ginger almonds are supposed to really help decrease nausea, and um, things like that. I think the biggest thing is probably, if you're not vomiting, is to try to distract yourself with something enough to get through a little bit of an exercise session, but honestly, that that's a tough one. It is a tough one, and I'm sure dealing with chronic pain is a similar 
concept and the idea of yes. distracting yourself. And sometimes if you are in a place where you can get fresh air by doing some exercise and um, going from point A to point B can be um, distracting also. Mm-hmm. And it would probably be very wise to always do that with someone if possible mm-hmm. as well, you know, so that you're you're – doing the most that you can, but there's someone with you to kind of help you gauge um, how you look. Mm-hmm. And, and over time, you know, this is the benefit um, for children of having a long-term physical therapist, of, of advocating for your kids that when they get PT as part of their IEP for school, that they have the same physical therapist week after week, year after year if possible, because there are those subtle cues that can you can learn over time that will help you to recognize mm-hmm. that maybe this week is not a good week to be doing the exercise because anytime you're ill, your metabolic demand and the demand for energy has already increased so much mm-hmm. that then now doing exercise at that time is not the same as trying to just do exercise over the period of your life in order to kind of increase your ba- baseline and improve your mitochondrial function as much as you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's try again to open up the lines and see if we have any other questions. Again, you can email me as well. All right, it's a little better now. So um, we're we can take some other questions and comments um, right. from the callers. Go ahead, Margaret. I finished emailing. Um, my wife Laurie, who had spoken early, had a long uh, problem here. She's been doing leg lifts and very, very light exercises for the last few months. And when I say leg lifts, I'm talking more. Uh, but she still ends up in excruciating pain, even uh, sometimes just light dusting or walking 40 feet does the same thing. Um, she's, she's had four strokes from CVA, so she's partially paralyzed on one side, which makes it even more difficult. Um, so I'm trying to, we've been trying to get some ideas on, on what may be possible to do. I mean, her lactic acid is, is doubled in less than a minute on a, a cardiopulmonary test. Um, swimming's kind of out or very, very difficult as just showering can wipe her out. Um, so, Mark, you were breaking up a little bit, but Lori emailed me the question. So, Margaret, were you able to hear him, or can I clarify for you? Yeah, no, I think I could hear him. I um, I hear that he's in a lot of pain no matter what you try, and that um, even light dusting or showering kind of wipes her out. So I guess my first question would be, I, I did, I, you did say how many leg lifts? I think you said four. I couldn't quite hear that. Yeah, usually three or four. I just just sent the email to yeah. Christy, so mm-hmm. uh, it so might be that way. Right, you're saying like with very, very minimal exercise, she gets excruciating pain. Right. I mean, yeah. Especially because she only has use of one arm and partial use of one leg. Right. So I guess the um, I would suggest a few different things. One would be... Um, it to, to cut back, even if she's being four leg lift, try one and see if that works and is helpful. 
Um, if it causes a lot of pain, um, I'm assuming she's on pain medication regularly. Maybe she could take that, uh, um, schedule her any kind of activity just around when she takes that, and that's probably common sense that you've already thought of. But doing things like having a warm bath and then having a rest and having a snack and then trying to do one leg lift or um, trying a different activity altogether that uh, would Hello. work. And, and uh, you know, M Margaret, one thing that I wonder also is um, if using the larger muscle groups like those in the leg yeah. where there's the potential to have more... Um, mitochondrial myopathy right. might be more painful than using um, smaller muscle groups, you know, like in the back and the shoulders right. and the arms. Yeah. Um, you know, um, because part of the reason why we have a muscle biopsy from the thigh is that that's a muscle where it's um, that muscle typically will be most likely to demonstrate a defect as compared right. to, say, taking the muscle out of your back because mm -hmm. that's a energy-demanding muscle. Mm -hmm. And so there's a more likelihood to see um, mitochondria that, you know, have the mutation or that are actively demonstrating that um, dysfunction. And so I wonder if using some different, you know, muscle groups would be of help too. I also would comment that, um, Mark and Lori, you can't underestimate the degree of strength that it takes, um, particularly if you are compromised on one side of your body, to stand up. You know, just the act of sitting and standing takes a lot of energy. So the suggestion, again, of doing exercises while lying down, I think would definitely be something to try. Right, okay, yeah, because she does take a lot of and even that doesn't uh, doesn't cover it. Mm -hmm. It's uh, you know difficult. We're looking for a little help here. And just two points of uh, for your information: National Association of Handicap Riding Association, known as NARA. Uh -huh. uh, if you look up on their website, you can usually find therapeutic riding in different areas. Um, also, YMC and stroke associations and stroke usually have pools such as YMCA and such where the water is warm and the fees are maybe $10, $20 or free. That's a great suggestion, um, Mark. So, um, so Mark is just suggesting uh, the National Association of, is it handicapped um, therapeutic writing or? It's called NARA. Okay. I'll send and, yeah, you know, Mark, what would be great is to post a comment on the exercise page on the MitoAction blog and put those two links there so that then um, anyone can go back and access those links. Those are great suggestions also about the warm water swimming um, at a Y because of a, a stroke group. That's a great suggestion also. Right. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very uh, much for your information, Margaret, and your help. You're welcome. Uh, any other questions or comments for Margaret? Uh, okay, Margaret, I have another question by email. 
Um, you, you had said that in the research the recommendation was three times a week. For those who are able, is it inadvisable to be doing something daily, you know, such as walking or um, stretching or yoga? Did you find anything advising that a period of rest is necessary or if a person is able to tolerate it every day, is that okay? Absolutely. If you can do it every day, that's fantastic. I think um, what, uh, again, goes back to just whatever works for you. They just recommended the rest if you to manage fatigue, if you were excessively fatigued or you were finding you were getting drained from exercise and not energized from it, then you should rest in between. But if you feel that you can do it every day and maintain your levels of of, um, energy, then that's fantastic. Um, And this question was from Ellen, and Ellen, I think you make a great point if you're still there to talking about maintaining, not draining your energy, and then using a wheelchair or a scooter to kind of compensate for the higher demand situations, like going shopping in the grocery store for two hours. Maybe that's not the best time to be walking, but instead do try to get the yoga or the Tai Chi in for a little bit of time that you enjoy and you know that it's part of your routine that day instead. I think that's a great point and a great suggestion, actually, to um, really, you know, you have to look at your day as a whole and decide if you have um, 10, you know, energy currencies that day and you can use a couple in the morning to do the routine that's your exercise, then you know that in the afternoon for the other things you might need to do, you might need to use your scooter or or compensate for that. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point that it's like budgeting and the spoon theory, which everybody's probably familiar with, and just budgeting your spoons for the day. Don't stand when you can sit and don't sit when you can lie down and 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 save those spoons for the times when you can exercise and make it count and and conserve your energy at other times and that ha- takes planning and creativity i think that's what is exhausting as well but it's worth it to budget um, there's a wonderful quote that i have um <clears throat> been trying to to find it's an albert einstein quote and I won't say it correctly because I don't have it right in front of me, but the gist of it is um, do anything that you could do lying down. Don't sit up to do anything you could do lying down, and don't do anything you could do sitting down while standing up. Yeah. You know, just just really, and if you think about that, you know, you think about how many things do you do. Maybe you're preparing lunch and you're standing up to do that. Well, could you sit down to do that instead? And maybe you're making some phone calls and you're sitting in a chair um, while you're on hold with the insurance company. Well, could you do that lying down Mm -hmm. instead so that you really are um, conserving your energy um, to make that more possible for you to do some other Mm -hmm. things? Um, So it's, it's a quarter after one. This has been such a wonderful discussion, and I encourage all of you to post additional questions um, on the website, or if you'd rather just email them to, to me and let us post comments back to those. Um, Margaret, if that will work for you, that way we can kind of continue to ask and answer these questions, which are really excellent questions. And it's obvious that, you know, Margaret, you're so compassionate about wanting to help find solutions for these patients, and it's so obvious from the folks who are calling in that 
you want to do the best that you can for your child or for yourself, but we have to really work together to figure out how to make this practical and realistic yeah. also. Yeah. Margaret, would you have any other closing thoughts or comments for the group? Uh, I just wanted to to encourage you to, to send questions because I would be more than happy to try to find out the answers for you and try to help you figure out what would work for you and um, more than happy to do that. And I'm really um, pleased to be asked to do this today and, and it's a pleasure to meet you over the phone and I wish you all the very best. Uh, and Margaret, we thank you also. There are two other things I want to point out. One, and both of these are within the slides or on the exercise page on the website. The first is within the slides near the end you'll see a WebMD link that takes you to a journal um, for recording exercise and I encourage all of you to look at that because using tools like that where you need to write it down really is helpful. And the second thing that I would say is that um, I just posted on that page the uh, illustrated guide for exercise for mitochondrial myopathy patients, which has been produced from Vancouver General Hospital with Margaret's help. And that's really an excellent picture resource. And so I encourage you to look at that. It's a PDF on the website on that same page. If you need help with any of this or would like to ask more questions or get in touch with Margaret, please email me, director at mitoaction.org, and help me to thank Margaret for her time and her energy and dedication to helping all of us today. Thank you so much, Margaret. Wonderful presentation. Thank you. Thank you, Margaret. You're very welcome. All right, so I... Encourage everyone to join us next month. Um, Dr. Richard Bowles from Los Angeles Children's Hospital will be joining us to talk about how mitochondrial dysfunction plays a role in many other conditions, such as cyclic vomiting syndrome, autism, and depression. So, um, be excited to hear about his research and his unique perspectives on that. So, please join us in December. And in the meantime, have a happy Thanksgiving and a wonderful day. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. To you also.